again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Who's the last person you'd expect Jesus to spend time with today, much less stay the night at their house? Now imagine Jesus doing exactly that. How do you react? Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series, A Glorious Grace, Generosity and Grace, with this message entitled, Transforming Grace, which covers Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. This morning, we're a part of a, we're in the middle of a series, if you've been with us, called A Glorious Grace, and we're doing a, a smaller series called Generosity and Grace. And this morning, our text, it's a familiar one. It's Luke 19. The story of a wee little man who climbed a tree named Zacchaeus. And while it's a wonderful thing to be familiar with a story, I wonder sometimes if that inoculates us to what the story is really saying. If we miss the barb and we miss the beauty. Because this is a story about a grace so radical and so deep that it should make you profoundly uncomfortable, but also of a grace so powerful that it transforms every single person that it touches. So let's read this text and then pray that the Lord gives us fresh eyes. It says this, starting in Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, not tomorrow, today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come this morning as a people who need you more than we even know. Lord, as a people whose hearts are distracted and confused, whose eyes are often blind and blurry. And Lord, we pray through your Spirit this morning, Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts wide to you. Lord, I pray that we would not leave this place without having had an encounter with the living God and having heard him call us by name. Use me now in my weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up in my family, I had a reputation of getting lost. Uh, You could send me upstairs to do a chore, and I would go up there, and I would promptly forget what I was doing and do something else. I would go on mission trips with a bunch of kids, and I would get lost. I would try to find my way places, and almost always, even if I had a GPS or if I had a map, 
I would end up somewhere that I was not supposed to be. But the worst, the worst time that I ever got lost, it was right after I graduated college in 2006. My brother and I were going to go on a trip to San Antonio, Texas to see my grandparents, and we were going to road trip in my Honda Accord from Atlanta all the way to Texas. So we piled into the car, we left really early in the morning when it was still dark because we knew it was a long drive, we knew that it was going to take us a while to get there, and my one job, my one job while my brother slept was to look for one exit, just one. And when I got to that exit, I was supposed to get off and begin to travel down this road that would lead me to Texas. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to look like a fool in front of my brother, so I am definitely going to find that exit. And I'm looking around like a hawk. I'm I'm reading every sign, and I'm anxious the whole way. I'm counting down the miles on my MapQuest printout, thinking, surely I'll get there. And then I begin to think about the job that I've been offered to go work at this church in coming and whether or not I should take it. And then I begin to think about the book I read last week and what it told me about Jesus and how that might apply. I started thinking about the Georgia football season that had just ended and this freshman quarterback we had named Matt Stafford, and I'm wondering, is he going to turn out to be anything special? Who knows? I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch, if I'll be full or if I'll be hungry, and if I'll have enough money to pay for it. And the whole time, the sun is rising. And my little brother who's sitting next to me, he starts to stir. He begins to rub the sleep out of his eyes, and he begins to get more and more alert. And the more alert he gets, the more alarmed he begins to look. Because nothing looks like it's supposed to. The landscape is wrong. The signs are wrong. Because they're not talking about Texas. They're talking about Florida. And my brother looks at me and he goes, what in the world have you done? Because he realized what I didn't. I was lost and I did not know it. Blessed is the one who actually knows he's lost. You know, what the gospel says is that is actually the danger that faces every single one of us. Because we live in this world where we are tempted to believe that the one who knows the way The one who is not lost, the one who is close to God, it's the one who's rich. Maybe not rich in possessions, but rich in reputation, rich in relationships, rich in terms of how people view them, rich in how the way the world looks at them and thinks. That person seems to have it together, and everyone who is poor, who does not have those things, that is the one who is lost. It's the one who worships in the right place, in the name of the right God, who votes for the right politicians, who supports the right social causes, who hangs out with the right people. And what Jesus says is if you think that's the way, then you are more lost than you know. Because the one who is lost, it's not just the one who sins in the way the world recognizes. The one who is lost is anyone who loves the things of earth more than the things of heaven. It's anyone who is faced with the choice between something, anything, and Jesus, and chooses that thing no matter how small, Jesus says, that's the one who's lost. And that's not just some of us. That's all. 
That's the point of Luke 18. In Luke 18, this man who seems like he knows the way, this rich young ruler shows up. He comes to the right person, Jesus. He asks the right question, what must I do to receive eternal life? He's done the right things. He's moral. He's kept the law. But Jesus looks at this man and he says, one thing you lack, just one, sell all, not some, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me, and I will give you treasure in heaven. If Jesus said sell some, I think he would have done it. It's the all that caught him. And when that man walks away sad because the text says he was very rich, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He's saying it's not just hard, it's impossible. And the disciples know it because they then go, who then can be saved? Because who has a heart like that? a heart that is holy and completely the Lord's. And Jesus says, nobody does. It's impossible for you, but not for God. And that's what makes Luke 8, 19 so precious. Because Jesus is speaking into this world where we are more lost than we know, where we think we are rich when really we are poor, and Jesus says, blessed is the one who knows he is lost, because that is the one I have come to seek and to save. And the one I save, I transform. And it starts with the story of a man that everyone thinks cannot be saved, even himself. He's lost, and nobody thinks there's any hope for him. He's a despised man. And you see it from the very first verses. It says that Jesus came into Jericho. And then Luke, the, the narrator, says, And behold, verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus, whose name ironically means pure and clean. He was a tax collector, a chief tax collector, and he was rich. If the rich young ruler of Luke 18 is not entering the kingdom of heaven, then this guy, he's toast. His name may be pure and clean, but what you see in just those two descriptive words, he is anything but. First, he's a tax collector. Now, we don't like the tax man. Most of us, we like to hold on to as much of our money as we can. And so when the government comes and says, I want that, we kind of shrivel up. Jews hated them. They despised tax collectors. And for good reason. In World War II, when the Germans invaded France and they took control, there were some French people who decided, you know what, if the Nazis are in power, if they're the ones with authority, and they're the ones with the weapons, and they're the ones with the wealth, then the smart move is to align with them. It's to align with the oppressors and not with our people who are the oppressed. Because that's where comfort is. So they supported them, they housed them, they turned in their friends and their neighbors who were hiding Jews, they in every way became allies to the people who were opposed to their own brothers and sisters. And when the war was over and the Germans lost, do you think the French shrugged their shoulders and said, let's forgive and forget? They killed some. They imprisoned others. 
And they took the women who had slept with the German soldiers and they shaved their heads and they beat them and then they marched them through the streets while everyone cried, shame. Because they aligned themselves with the oppressors over and against the oppressed. That's the tax collector. The tax collector is a man who has decided that he would rather have wealth and privilege and power than stand with his own people in the face of a foreign power. And not only are they standing against their own people and and, and align themselves to foreign power, but these are men who are using that name, the name of Rome, the power of Rome, not just to take taxes from their people, but to defraud them. They're stealing from their people. And notice what it says about Zacchaeus. He's not just any tax collector. He is a tax collector who is described in a way that is described nowhere else in the Bible. He is a chief tax collector. He's the guy at the very top of the pyramid. He's the guy who is in control of the others. He's a man who so loved money, who so loved riches, that he was willing to sell his soul. He was willing to sell out his neighbors. He was willing to sell his reputation and even the faithfulness to Israel's God so he could have that thing. There's a reason that when the crowd talks about him, they don't use his name, they just say, this man is a sinner. And there's one more thing Luke says. He's rich. He's the one Jesus just said, for whom it will be harder to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Who is lost and not Zacchaeus? But here's the one thing that sets him apart from the rich young ruler. He knows it. He sees it. He's not just a despised man. He's a desperate one. And you see it all through the text. It says in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, in our culture, what he does here, it may not seem like that big of a deal. I run and I climb trees with my daughter all the time. But in this culture, respectable men, men who have their lives together, men who are under control and know the way, they don't run. They walk. And they definitely don't climb trees. Zacchaeus is a man who is so desperate, who has realized that this thing he sold his soul for, it is so empty, that he is willing to invite even more shame just so he can catch a glimpse of this Jesus. To see who he is. Now we don't know why he does this, but we can guess, can't we? Because Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, he's the one who's been preaching publicly, I've come not for the righteous, I've come for sinners. He's the one who's been eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners all through this book, who even has brought one tax collector into his inner circle, the twelve. And I'm sure Zacchaeus has heard that. If he's the chief, they're hanging out with his buddies. And you have to think he is running through those streets going, could it possibly be true that there is someone who could love me? But even as he's wondering that, you can see the doubt because he climbs the tree, but he never calls Jesus' name. 
He is sitting in the tree looking like a fool, and I have to think in his head, there's that little question, who could want me? A couple years ago, I came across this documentary about a girl who got involved in the porn industry. And she had joined it because she wanted to make money and she wanted to escape her small Texas town and she thought it was exciting and there was approval and all these people telling her that she was special. And so she dove in head first, but what she found was that while it was easy to get in, it was a lot harder to leave. She was afraid that if she left and her parents found out what she had been doing that they wouldn't want her. She would go around with her boyfriend who said that he didn't care about what she did, but every time they got with his friends, you could tell that he did. Because all they wanted to talk about was what she did. And she realized that even if she left, even if she could find a way to replace the money, there was a label affixed to her that she could not shake. And behind this little teenage girl's eyes was that question that I think Zacchaeus is asking too. Who could want me? Jesus says, I do. I want the one the world despises. I want the one who is so desperate that they think there is no escape. I want the one who knows they are lost because that is the one I have come to seek and to save. Zacchaeus climbs that tree thinking he's just going to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He doesn't expect to be found by Jesus. But that's what happens. Jesus walks into the city of Jericho and he is looking around at that crowd and he is scanning that sea of faces and out of all the faces he turns his attention on one. This ludicrous figure of a man hanging from a tree like a child. And the result, it's not shame. It's not condemnation. It's joy. It says he looked up. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't call him by his label. He doesn't call him what the people call him. He calls him by the name his parents gave him and he never lived up to, pure and clean. And if he knows his name, do you think for a second he doesn't know his reputation? Do you think for a second he doesn't know who he is? Do you think he doesn't see that the only reason a grown man would be hanging from a tree at the back of a crowd is because he is despised above all others. Jesus sees it. Jesus knows it. And he fixes his eyes on Zacchaeus and he says, that's the one that I want. Hurry and come down today. Today I must come into your house. And notice what hasn't happened. He doesn't say, I'll come into your house if you confess. I'll come into your house if you repent. I'll come into your house if you beg. He just looks him in the face, points his finger and says, I'm coming. And there's nothing that's going to stop me. 
I am not ashamed to be seen with you. And Zacchaeus, he responds in the only way a man who's lost could possibly respond. It says he hurried and he came down. And in my mind's eye, I see him just tumbling through the branches because he's so excited his hands aren't working right. And he received him joyfully. It's the kind of joy that we saw displayed over the past few weeks in this viral video that was making the rounds on the internet of this little 11-year-old girl named Tana Butterfield. She had gone to see her school administrator in the school office, and there was security cam footage of this little girl coming in, and what she didn't know on that day was she was about to discover something that was going to change her life. You see, Tana Butterfield was a foster child. And she had been living for two years with a family that had grown to love her and had decided they wanted to adopt her and they had been trying for those two years to make that come true, but the legal system kept getting in the way and it kept getting dragged on and on and on. But what she didn't know on that day was that the courts had finally decided and she was now her foster parent's own. And they did not want her to have to wait another second without knowing. And so they had called the school and told the school administrator, when she comes to the office, we want you to tell her. And so you see this video of the school administrator leaning down to this little girl, and she's saying something you can't hear, but as soon as her lips stop moving, the girl explodes. She wraps her legs around her. She wraps her arms around her. She begins to cry and to weep and to laugh. And the woman is hugging her back and kissing her back. And they're rocking back and forth together. And it goes on and on and on. It is this pure, beautiful, glorious joy. Because the little girl lost has been found. Do you think the joy of Zacchaeus is any less beautiful? Grace has come knocking on his door. And the man who knows he is lost, 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 responds in the only way he can. He receives Jesus joyfully. And you would think, wouldn't you, that that would be a joy the crowd would share. Because if Jesus has opened the door wide to Zacchaeus, that means that there's no one who is so far off that they cannot come inside. It means there is no one to whom the gates of heaven are barred, that the doors are wide open to anyone who would come and say, I am lost and I am a sinner. Jesus says, I'll come in and eat with you. I'm not ashamed to be seen with you. But the crowd, they're not joyful, are they? They're angry. It says in verse 7 that they saw it. They saw this grace. They saw Zacchaeus' joy. And they grumbled about it. And they said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They're not angry with Zacchaeus. They're angry with Jesus. They're angry with the man that they flooded the streets to see. They're angry with the man who they so desperately wanted to be near that they filled the streets to such a degree that the only way Zacchaeus could see him was by climbing a tree. They're angry because Jesus looked across that crowd of people, some of whom had decided they would rather be oppressed than stand with the Roman powers. People who had kept the laws of God, 
who had gone to synagogue every Saturday, and his eyes scanned that crowd, and the one he chose was the one who deserved it the very least. They're angry because they see grace being poured out on someone who didn't deserve it, and they think they do. They're the rich man who has come to the eye of the needle and has been told that the way through it is to confess what you really are, to lay aside your reputation, to lay aside your good deeds and come as one who knows he is lost and has no hope outside of himself. And they hear that and they see that and the very thing that should bring them joy, it makes them angry because they love their reputation and they love their works more than they love Jesus. They're lost. Their hearts are exposed. And you know, as I read that, that raises two very important things to me. The first is that we need to really ask ourselves, do we really understand who Jesus is and do we really see our own hearts? Because what this text is saying is that you can call on the name of Jesus. You can try to be near to Jesus. You can be willing to serve Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are near to Jesus. And your heart can still be very far from him. And the way you know is this. When you see the grace of Jesus poured out on someone else, when you see them get a position that they don't deserve, when you see them get applause that they don't deserve, when you see them have health that they don't deserve, when you see them get anything that you think, that should have been mine because I deserved it and it makes you angry, then maybe, just maybe, you don't understand Jesus like you think you do. And maybe your heart is farther from him than you know. Maybe you're more lost than you think you are. And even as I say that, my own heart trembles because that's me. But here's the good news. Jesus is saying in this text, you're the one I came to seek and to save. There's hope even for you. On the other hand, some of you in this room today, maybe you feel like Zacchaeus. And you're here in this church and you are sitting somewhere in the back and you are thinking, I just want to see who he is, but I don't really think he could possibly want me. What if today you're not here because you're seeking Jesus? What if you're here because you're being sought by him? And what if his eyes have settled on you and he is calling your name? And he is saying to you what he said to Zacchaeus today, not tomorrow, not another day, today, I must, I will come into your house. That was me 13 years ago sitting right over there. I was a drunk 19-year-old kid who thought the only reason that anyone would settle their eyes on me would be in anger or to shame me. And I don't know how else to explain it other than I found out that day that Jesus, he saw me and he loved me and he was not through. What if you're here because the one who seeks and saves the lost, he is seeking you and he wants you for himself? Because here's the good news of the gospel. What we see Jesus do with Zacchaeus, where he comes and he takes on the shame of this man, even though he doesn't deserve it where he stands in the way of Zacchaeus in the crowd and he bears the anger even though he doesn't deserve it. 
where he so identifies with this man, he comes into his house that the one who deserves rejection and hate and shame would be welcomed and loved and approved. Jesus, what we see there, that is a small, tiny picture of what he has done for us on the cross. Because on the cross, we see a Savior who says, I am not ashamed to be identified with you, even in your sin. I'm not ashamed to bear your condemnation. I'm not ashamed to be seen as something that I am not, and that is a sinner. And I will bear your shame that you can have the one thing you do not deserve, and that is fellowship with me. That you would share in my glory, and in my beauty, and in my joy. Jesus climbs the tree that he just called Zacchaeus out of. And he bears the shame that you and I who come to him would never have to. And as Hebrews 12 says, Jesus endured that cross and despised the shame. Why? For the joy. It's his joy. It's what he loves. It's to see sinners brought home. Blessed is the one who knows he is lost. Because his is the joy of being found. And here's what is more glorious still. Jesus never saves someone and then does not transform them. You see it with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus goes from being a man who so loves money, he sacrifices everything to have it. And suddenly when we get to verse 8, after Jesus has come crashing into his life, he becomes everything the rich young ruler was called to be and wasn't. He's the camel that passes through the eye of the needle. In verse 8, he says this. He says, behold, catch that word again, look, see, the same man the story started with, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. It's a declaration that speaks of a transformation that only God can bring. Because here's what Zacchaeus is saying. First, this is a repentance above and beyond anything the Old Testament required. In the Old Testament, if you defrauded somebody, you paid them back what you stole plus a fifth. Or if the thing you stole was particularly important and hard to replace, you paid back two times. Zacchaeus doesn't do that. He says, first, before I do anything with that, here's half of my goods to the poor. I've received grace and I just want to give it. I want to show it to somebody else. And then he says, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, basically, which I've done, I've stolen, I've cheated, I've defrauded, I restore it not one and a fifth, not two times, I restore it fourfold. He's a man who is so overcome by grace that his hard heart has been melted and out of it is flowing a generosity that is not possible unless Jesus creates it in him. And notice one thing more. If what he says here is true, he's not as corrupt as he looks on the surface. Notice the math. If he gives away half of what he has first to the poor, and then of the remaining half, he restores whatever he has stolen fourfold, then that means at a minimum, at a minimum, if you divide that 50% by four, at a minimum, 87.5% of his wealth is clean. He didn't steal it. 
He had it honestly. He earned it. And yet, what is he doing? He's lifting his hands to Jesus, the man who sold his soul for money, and he's saying, I want you to have all of it. Because he's realized that he needs not just forgiveness for some sins sitting over there in the corner. He needed a new heart. He needed a new life. He needed something that only Jesus could give him, and Jesus provided it in full. And so everything he has is grace. And so he's lifting his hands to Jesus and saying, Take it. You're better. And Jesus looks at him and says in verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house. For this man also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He's saying this is, not the, this is not the cause of salvation, but this is the fruit. This is what happens when Jesus comes crashing into your life and into your home. It's a life turned upside down by the gospel. Where rich men whose hearts are knit to this world are suddenly set free. Where camels pass through the eyes of needles and we're the thing that is impossible for man, for Zacchaeus, for the rich young ruler, for you and for me, God does in the person of Jesus Christ. The one Jesus saves, he transforms. And here is the hope that gives to you and me. It means that if Jesus has come crashing into your life, if you're one of those that he has sought and he has saved, then while your transformation, it may not be as swift it may not be as dramatic. You may not find yourself holding your hands up and going, behold, in front of a crowd of people. I can say this with 100% certainty. It's just as sure. Jesus will not be content until your heart is wholly and completely his. Because he loves you. And he wants your heart knit to the thing that would bring you true and abundant life. You know, right now as a church, we're in this season of prayer where we're going, God, what would you have us do with our resources? What would you have us do with our lives? How can we be a part of your kingdom work? How can we use what we have to see your kingdom expand and your name glorified and I think Luke 19 is extending to us a very specific invitation. It's to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I was lost and you found me. My heart was dead and you made it alive. You bore my shame even though you did not deserve it and I did. And you gave me your glory even though you deserved it and I did not. And you did all of this by grace. What would you have me do with the things you have stewarded to me, with my talents, my gifts, my time, my family, my job, even my wealth. How would you have me use it? Because if all is of grace, then all of it is yours. And where my heart is still knit to this world, transform it. Can you imagine what God might do if he answered that prayer? Blessed is the one who knows he is lost because he is the one that Jesus came to seek and to save. 
And the one he saves, he transforms. It's good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come as a people whose hearts are confused and twisted, but Lord, we come to a Savior who in grace and mercy can make even people like us whole, who pours out grace not on those who deserve it, but on the very ones who deserve it the least. And Lord, we pray in every way, bind our hearts to you as we leave this place. May we be those who don't just know of you and hear of you, but Lord, may we be those who have been sought and saved by you, but more than that, transformed by you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.